come to the point where people no longer take our identity and who we see ourselves to be seriously because many people have distorted this whole idea as well. You know that people are identifying themselves in ways that are obviously not true. Um, Males, boys are identifying as females. We have people who are identifying as black when you can see that they're white. Um, Even at the supper table tonight, I heard the comment again that I've heard before. I think in uh, this culture in which I am living, I might just identify as being vaccinated. So that means I'm vaccinated, right? That's the idea of how we've come in our culture today. But you as young people are grappling with, either consciously or unconsciously, this idea of who am I? And so if I asked you the question, who are you, what answer would you give me? Who are you? And if we left after the topic and you walked out the doors and you hadn't met someone here at camp yet and you asked the question, who are you, to that person, the question asked of a different person, would you have answered the question differently? So I'm going to go through three things. You can see this in your outlines in your book, in your folders. And I think what I want to do is, after each point, I'm going to ask you to tell me two or three things that you learned, I may call on two, three, four people, about that point that you found significant. And then, so there'll be three little breaks. So the first question we're going to deal with is this this question of why is this a question in, in the first place? There's a growing awareness in your lives as young people um, about this question in, in your own lives. You realize you're in relationship with other people. You begin to um, look at other people and you identify who they might be, what you, you think about them, what you see about them. You're growing in this, in this awareness. I think you realize as well who we think ourselves to be impacts what we think or believe we're called to do. What you're called to do as a person, maybe for a job or things like that, or what you're called to be in light of who God calls us, what, what you're called for in this world. Could you imagine walking up to someone and asking the question, who are you? And they say It was interesting in probably late 1980s, I was uh, visiting New York City and walking down the streets. I was a little bit older than some of you. And I had on a a T-shirt that had three Greek letters on it, Pi, Kappa, Phi. And I was just walking down the street and this old guy, scraggly guy with a beard, he's walking by me and he stops me and goes, hey, you. Cup of I'm going, how is, what? I was just taken away. Like, how does this guy know Greek? I didn't know Greek at the time either, but I got to talking with him. He, as far as I could remember, was either a doctor or a professor, and according to his own words, he had fallen on hard times. He still, he said, went to the library every day, 
read the newspaper and kept up with what was going on in the culture. He seemed very knowledgeable. But it was, it was amazing to me as I was listening to this man speak, he had co- kind of lost who he actually was. He couldn't describe who he felt he was. And of course, as I was asking him these questions, I was thinking about who he was. I was identifying him as someone as well. Now, when I ask the question to you, who are you, we could perhaps give different answers to that question. You could give me your name. You could talk about who your parents are, your friends' names. But that really doesn't get to the heart of who you are. Who are you really? Are you who you might pretend to be? You know people, and perhaps when you maybe do this yourself, you're frustrated, but we can portray and give out signals by our words or by our actions that really aren't who we are. We can get frustrated with that because when people do that to us, we think of them as being hypocrites. They're not really demonstrating to us who we might know them to be. And so we, we, we are looking at people, we want genuine reality of who we are to be expressed. And you want people to be genuine with you. Now there's various ways we can identify. We have categories. Some of you are sons, some of you are daughters, some of you are older, younger, um, male or female, you're older, young, rich or poor. These are all categories we could identify with. But again, the question comes back to, what's that root of those questions? Who are you? Sometimes we link our identity with what we do. So I could say, well, I'm a pastor. Another person can say, I'm a farmer, I'm, a, I'm an electrician, or I'm a student, or a laborer. And so we get our identity from what we do. Or we perhaps get our identity from the approval we get from other people when we say things or do things in a certain way. We, we like that because then it gives us approval. We can build up our pride in this way. So if we're an honor student or a manager instead of a worker, we may like to define ourselves by using those kinds of of terms. One other thing to keep in mind is that our identity can at times change over a period of time. So what defines who you are? What's your identity? What I want to get at in point one is this. Who are you at the heart level? Who are you as a person? Perhaps we could define it another way. Your being, your existence, your soul, your heart, your mind. Who are you? There are many people who want to equate who we are because they've written God out of the picture and they are simply talking about this structure we have up here called our brains and that then, however it functions, determines who we are. We'll see in our last thought that that is not accurate. 
But I want you to turn in your Bibles and follow what I want to um, say to you in the first point here. And, and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10. God is speaking to Israel here. And remember, these were called children of God. They were the people of God in the Old Testament. They were circumcised. They were to do God's service, and they were to worship him. But they had departed from God. They had left God, and God was going to judge them. And in this passage in Isaiah 10, he is going to, God is going to tell through the mouth of Isaiah what he's going to do. And he's going to say how he's going to use the Assyrians as an instrument in his hand. Look at verse 5. O Assyrians, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. So God is saying, Assyria, you are going to be a rod in my hand to discipline my people, Israel. I will send against him, that's my people, a hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take a spoil and to take a prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Then verse 7, however, howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so. This is the Assyrian now. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. So the Assyrian was imagining as he was going to go out and defeat Israel, in his own thinking, in his heart, he was lifted up in pride. I'm going to kill the Israelites. I'm going to destroy the Israelites. And God, meanwhile, is saying to Isaiah the prophet, I'm going to use Assyria as my instrument against my people Israel to correct them. So what's their identity? They imagined, Assyria did, that after this they were going to go on and conquer other people. Now look at verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he said, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. God is saying, after Assyria accomplishes my purpose, I will come against them. But the Lord is overruling all that is happening in this passage. And there's two ideas I want us to capture here as we think about this idea of identity. So it says, first of all, that the Assyrians collectively and even individually as a king or even as some of the soldiers who went out to fight, they were thinking in their hearts. And so this idea of hearts is going to come back in our, in our talk. They were thinking in their hearts. This is the core of a person's being. The Assyrians were imagining and thinking in themselves they were valiant warriors. They were powerful, overcoming even this so-called people of the Most High God. 
This is what they were thinking of themselves. This is what they would have told you their identity is. The second thing in the Isaiah 10 passage is that God is telling us he has sovereign control over all these events. Even though the Assyrians were imagining and thought they were doing this all themselves, that they were strong, that they were lifting up themselves in pride, they didn't recognize God was using them as an instrument to accomplish his purposes. So notice what the Assyrians thought. They thought they were something. But God told them, Through this passage, he told the Israelites, he told Isaiah, this is who they really are. This was key to understanding their real identity. Now, there's other passages in the Old Testament that, and in the New that relate to our understanding of who we are and our identity. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart. This is who you are in the core of your being, who you really are. Watch over it, Solomon is saying. Keep it with all diligence, for out of your heart, out of who you are, will give you the way in which you live. Your will, your mind, your thoughts, your affections, your actions. You need to guard your hearts. Then we also, in Proverbs 23, verse 7, read these words. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. How many of you ever use that expression, thinking in your heart? We we usually say we think with our brains. But the scripture's language is such that we think with our hearts because our hearts is the core of who we are, our identity. Where we are thinking about making decisions and choices in life occur at the heart level. This is who you really are. One more passage, Luke 6, 45. Luke 6, Jesus is telling us here something about our hearts. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouth, Jesus is saying, is originating in our identity, who we are. That's who we are. Sometimes we can be deceitful. We can say things, and our heart knows it. We're saying things that we really either don't believe or we want to pretend are true. But it doesn't change who our identity is in our, in our hearts. And that's why we all need to be honest before God. Who we really are before God. What he says about us. It's not what we think about ourselves or what we wished ourselves to be that is reality, but it's who God says we are. And so, 
These are two important things to keep in mind as we continue to the second point. So what are two things you heard from point one that you found interesting that you know are important to this idea of identity? Can you anybody tell me? Two things. Anybody? Yes. Okay, so who we are deep within us, we can't change that even though we might speak differently or act differently. Anything else? Sleeping? Yes. Okay, what's in our heart is going to direct our actions. So who we are in our heart is going to come out. Jesus said that in another place in Matthew 15. The evil deeds that we do arise from our hearts. Anyone else? Two important things I want you to remember are, no matter what we say that we are, it is God who determines our identity, not who we say that we are. And secondly, it's already been mentioned, but basically we can claim to be a particular identity, but it's a lie if it's not what God says that we are. So, second point we want to cover is this. What does the world tell us today? The world is pushing the idea that your value, your worth, is often related to what other people think of you. So, everything about our identity that we hear in the world today is about ourselves how others view us, how others build us up, what makes me feel good. But all of that that the world is saying makes you who you are is really in opposition to what the Word of God calls us to be. To serve others. To devote ourselves to the service of God. So the question we need to ask in distinction from the world's questions is, am I serving myself and my own identity as being important, or am I serving the Lord? Ask yourself this question. How am I known before God's face? All of us believe that God is our creator. He's the God who gives us life. So, As we stand this moment tonight in the presence of God, who are you? Do you focus on yourself? We've already been at camp a couple of days. You've done a lot of activities. You've spoken a lot of words. Was it about you? Or is your identity in making known who God is also to others, serving others. You know, if we live according to the identity that God gives us, there is freedom and there is liberty. And you can live out of that identity of being God's free. But if you're in slavery and in bondage to your own identity of your own making, you need to do certain things to make other people feed your 
pleasure your feeling good about yourself. Today we have many people who are telling us what we need to be, who we need to be, what it means to be okay and what is not okay. And if you're something other than what the group of our common culture is telling us, then you're not okay. You're not acceptable. And the world and our culture has taken it on themselves to tell you and me, either directly or indirectly, who is okay, who is acceptable, and who is not okay and not acceptable. And in some ways, there are certain laws and standards that have been promoted in our culture that you need to accept according to their standards. The whole idea of um, wearing masks, for example, from COVID or getting a vaccination or accepting that climate change is a reality are all ideas of identities that are being foisted upon us that must be accepted because they're accepted by our culture. The list could go on. We have the culture today that is saying white people are inherently racist. There's the critical theory that must be accepted as correct. And all of these things that are being promoted in our culture are related to how we see ourselves or identify ourselves in relation to other people. If you follow the rules and the laws our society sets before you, you're accepted by society. If you don't follow those rules and laws, you're not accepted. You lose your identity. So there are groups today that form. You have Antifa. You have Black Lives Matter. You have those who are transgender. You have those who are saying, I'm a non-practicing homosexual. And you could go on the rest of this topic just listing categories of identities that people have chosen to take on for themselves. And you as young people are hearing about them wherever you go. And many people are posting on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok about their identity of how they want other people to see them. And there is nothing about the glory of God that is sought. Rather, the posts that are posted are done in a way that draws attention to giving me an identity that fulfills my selfish desires. When people post on Facebook, for example, <clears throat> they want to give an identity or a persona of who you should think they are. When you post a picture on Facebook and you have five that you just took selfies, which one do you choose? If you don't like the way a certain picture looks, why don't you post it? If all of a sudden you lost a bunch of weight because you got sick, 
does your identity change all of a sudden? You're no longer the same person any longer so that you don't post anything that reflects who you really are? Why is it only certain pictures of celebrities make it onto the internet? It's because they want to present a picture of who they imagine themselves to be or who the press who are reporting on these celebrities want you to think of them. You don't see them in the nitty-gritty of life, in their real identities. And the challenge that most young people go through is a period of time when you, looking all around you, seeing all these different identities, all these different people, and you're beginning to grow up and, 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 and discern, who, who am I? What do I really believe? What is solid and true that I can rest my life on? What explains my life and my experience and what I feel is happening in my life? And when you perhaps perceive that a group that you belong to, you've grown up with a certain group of people, and you have certain feelings or thoughts or ideas that don't match with that group of people, you aren't accepted for some of the ideas maybe that you have, maybe you go looking elsewhere for affirmation, for comfort, for identity. Maybe, maybe someone here has been bullied by other of your same age group, ridiculed. Maybe you haven't experienced unconditional love in your family. And you begin looking around for others to give you affirmation about what you're feeling in your life as who you are. And instead of turning to those who are trustworthy that you could pour out your heart to, I have found in talking to numbers of young people who have also grown older, experiencing same-sex attraction, experiencing gender issues in their life, and they've gone to the Internet to find answers to these questions. And I want at this point in my talk to just pause and say to you urgently and personally, to beg you, don't, don't go to the internet to find answers to these deep-rooted questions. Find someone you can talk to and trust. Open your heart to someone and tell them your struggles, your thoughts, your concerns, your cares. Satan would love nothing more than for you to go to the internet and begin searching. I have these kinds of feelings. I have this kind of thought. And you'll find someone there. You'll find maybe a number of people there. You maybe find even a group of people in a chat room who have the same kind of feeling. And they'll affirm you and, and they'll tell you you're okay. But who are you really? When the advice given to you is simply to comfort you and give you security and give you some kind of peace, often it leads to death. I remember as a young person your age, exposed to a, a number of sinful things in, in my early life, and it became my identity at that point. 
So all my life revolved around this sinful activity 24-7. And I realized if I continued in this path, it would not end well. So I began to look around at different people. This person was kind, this person was humble, this person was that. And I began to think, I need to try and incorporate that into who I am. I need to incorporate that character of this person into me. I need to incorporate this character, and, and then everyone will, will like me. It became an idol. When my wife and I got married, we, we talked about raising the children God would give to us. And many times we would talk back and forth before we had children and say, oh, look at these children and these parents. We're not going to do that. Oh, that really worked good for those parents. We're going to do that. Our identity was somewhat centered around we need to be good parents. How others also would perceive us. And if being a good parent was the only thing we wanted to do, then in itself, that is not a good thing. We miss the mark of our calling and identity as parents, what God is calling us to do. There are many young people like you, also in the church, who are hurting. Inside, maybe you feel unclean. You don't really know and can't articulate who you are. Perhaps you don't like what you see in yourselves or the things you continue to struggle with, even sins perhaps. Maybe some of you even began looking online to hear answers to these questions that you have. You read of those who come out and find happiness, supposedly. You know the stories. Perhaps you hear of them at work, see them on the news. And part of the problem is that some of you maybe look at those stories and struggles that young people have and sort of shrug it off or laugh at it even. But that tells you something about who you are as well. That's part of your identity. For some young people, this can be a very serious, difficult question they wrestle with. And it's only made worse when their friends mock with those who come out or those who say they identify as something else. The fact is, no matter what we think of those who struggle in this way, we are really no different if we are outside of Christ. Because if we are outside of Christ, we're only living for ourselves. We are living for a different identity than that for which we have been created to live. Oh, it's true, we're living out our natural hearts of sin. By nature, we think we're better than others. We live for pleasure. We live for lust. But all of us are struggling with this question, who am I? 
Now, you need to be thankful, I think, as young people, you've been shielded from what many, many who've never had a religious upbringing, don't have the Word of God to guide them. All they have is what they hear on the Internet or what they're hearing from their friends, what they're exposed to in this world. I'm just saying to you tonight, you are faced with any of these questions in your own life of who are you? Find someone who is grounded in the truth of the Word of God to ask these questions to and talk about. There are many lies out there, and and in our culture today, you're easily taken in, and you can find a supposed identity like the Assyrians did and imagine yourself to be something that you really aren't. I've spoken, as I said, to a number of young and older people who have made this choice to identify with something clearly that they are not. And most of them, over a period of time, have been struggling with this question in their minds, in their hearts. Struggling with this question of identity. But the source that they went to to get answers did not give them truth. Did not give them the word of God. It gave them answers they felt would give them peace, would give them comfort, would give them identity. Who are you going to in answers to these kinds of questions in your life? God gives us the answers in his word. That's our third thought. We need to think about this question of identity. So what did, what did you hear? What did you learn in the second point of what is the world confronting us with today? Okay, people are going to online places to answer this question of who am I and find other people like them. Anyone else? So the world today is giving this idea of you can be whoever you want to be, whoever you want to identify with. It has nothing to do with what God is calling us to be. Anyone else? Say that again. Often the advice that... Okay. So the first point was we be looking for comfort, and if we're outside of Christ, those two ideas that you just mentioned tie together. The only true comfort we're going to find is when we have an identity that's found in being united to Christ. All the other people who we may hear giving us advice or trying to console us may be comforters that don't have a foundation, that don't give us real comfort. All right, we'll move on to the third, third point. 
the Word of God. It's not easy. Reverend Vanderswag mentioned this to some degree this morning. It's not easy to accept or receive, always, what God says. But at the end of the day, what God says is true and is best for us. So turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read 1 through 10. There are two identities mentioned here. And in essence, when we talk about identity, who we are, we could divide this whole room into two categories when we talk about identity in this respect. We are either outside of Christ or we are in Christ. We are in our natural state as sinners or we are in a redeemed state. And and, and notice where the transition occurs here. Notice the description that Paul is giving of these identities. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in in sins. We're in, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. These first three verses here, Paul is describing for us an identity of those who are outside of Christ, those who have been born again, but this is what they were before. So if you're outside of Christ, you're not yet in him, this still remains who you are. This is your identity. This is what God is saying about you. Dead in trespasses and sins. Walking in this world in its course according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working in the children of disobedience. Lust of the flesh. Fulfilling desire of the flesh and of the mind. Children of wrath even as others. That's not a pleasing or pleasurable identity to speak about but it's true. Have you ever owned it as your own? Have you ever come before the face of God and said, this this, this is me. This is who I am. And you see, this is precisely where the world and so many who lay claim to being a Christian and living in sin at the same time have a problem. They don't want to own to this truth of what God is saying about the identity we have. Now, does God give us, in this passage here in Ephesians, even in the whole of the Scriptures, does he give us this description of our identity to destroy us? To push us away from him and say, you're, you're unredeemable. You, you're, you're so bad and evil and wicked, I want nothing to do with you. Not at all. 
He wants us to own this identity, to recognize this is who I really am. And in a sense, there's nothing you could do to change it. You could do it. But he, God, is in the business, if you want to put it in that term, of changing people, of giving new identities, of making new people. That's why Paul gives this interjection here in verse 4. But God, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. And here Paul is giving us a glimpse into the identity of God. This is God's identity. This is who God is. See him for who he truly is. He is merciful. He is loving, kind, and gracious. He, in essence, is saying, I will even come so low to rescue you out of your sin. You have chosen this identity of departing from me, and I will send my son to take on this identity, to take on your nature, to become sin, and to pay the punishment of sin to bring you back to myself, to be made sons and daughters of God. And this is the transition here in verse 4. And he did this, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. It's by his grace he saved us. And he raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the world, uh, ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, not out of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This identity is a new identity. Those who've been born again, those who come to own by the light of the Holy Spirit teaching them, verses 1 through 3, and come in the way of repentance to acknowledge to God, this is who I am. Please forgive me of my disobedience, my rebellion, my sin, my seeking of self. Lord, wash it away in your blood. And we come fleeing to Christ, God who is rich in mercy, making us alive, verse 5, quickening us together with Christ. He raised us with him to now be seated in heavenly places in Christ. All those who are in Christ have a new identity. They belong to him. God sees them as being in him. They are new creatures in Christ Jesus. In Galatians, Paul expands on this. Listen to what he says In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I'm I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I, 
call the old man God. When Christ died, he died with him. Now Paul says, that old self must be put to death. The one who used to assert himself and wanted to be somebody, the wanted to have everyone look at him, and that formed my identity. Paul says, no longer am I a Pharisee. I want to be seen by everyone as the religious worker and the one who did everything right. No, now he is a servant of Christ. He's associated with Christ. He's alive with Christ living in him. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And his identity then is, as a believer, it's no longer I. I am dead with Christ. But I, who lives in Christ. Think about this identity for a moment. If you grasp this and understand this, and if you have come to Christ by faith, and this is now your identity, who you are, how God sees you, why are we so reticent, so reluctant to live for him who gave himself for us? If you had parents who who gave you love and just showered love upon you, just, just loved you. And, and every time you went out the door, they would say to you, remember, we love you. So live that way. Live like it's really true. And you go out into the world and you're confronted with a choice. You know, one is going to bring dishonor to your parents. And the other, though it may be painful, may be difficult, honor them. You know they love you. You want to do what pleases them. That's what Paul is saying here in this passage in Ephesians as well. He is saying, we are as workmanship created to good works. This is why he saved people. That you would live out this identity of being in Christ. Colossians 3 is the same idea. Paul says, if you're risen with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So why are you and I sometimes still trying to get our identity in other ways. Maybe you didn't get all the A's you wanted to, but was the reason to use all your talents to God's glory or to have the identity and other people and even among your parents, I got straight A's. What's your identity? Who are you? 
Who does God say you are? Yes, we're to do all things to the glory of God. So we ought to strive to get A's, but not because of us. If he's given us the ability to do that, we should pour ourselves into doing that for his glory. And whatever we do. But also realize that God will allow things to happen in your life that will be difficult. That will be testing this identity. Will you believe what he says about you? What he's done in Christ for you if you have come to him? Or will you remain believing the lie of the evil one? You know, we can become enslaved to other people's opinions. What they say about us. And so my identity is formed around people's opinions. Do they like me? I've got to keep doing this. I have to do that in order to please them, to make them happy and make them feel good. Or are we living, as it were, in the presence of the one who really matters? Paul says in Corinthians, just turn there for a moment, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. If we have come to repentance and faith and believed in Christ, And Christ is living in us. That's our new identity. Everything we do ought to be for this purpose, to let Christ shine. We are broken earthen vessels. But the glory of God is seen when we would speak, do, think, and act. What God in Christ would have us to do. And so I ask you, what is your identity? Who are you? And out of that, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you thinking? Are you laying up for yourselves treasure on earth where Jesus says moth and rust are going to corrupt? If you're laying up for a name on Facebook or laying up for a name of being different from all the rest of uh, the culture around you, whatever it is, and you're not living by the identity that God gives you, Treasure in heaven, the only place where moth and rust will not corrupt. Who are you? We need to stop pretending we're not broken. Paul says we are broken earthen treasures, vessels. The excellency of the power that should be shining through us does not point to ourselves. It should be pointing always to him. Think of Christ. Remember when he grew up, he was born, supposedly by some people's imagination, an illegitimate child 
because Mary had conceived before they were actually married. And this was thrown in Jesus' face a number of times in his ministry. They would ask, who's your father? Implying, uh, Joseph, we, we all know that story. When you were, you were yet born, Joseph, uh, he wasn't in the picture. They cast aspirations against Jesus. Did he ever take this identity on himself? Was he ever affected by all the ridicule of people throwing it at him? Not at all. He said, my father is in heaven. And that's when they mocked him and they ridiculed him. But that was his true identity. He did not deny it. What is your identity? Who are you? And if you're in Christ, do you own that identity? Do you believe what God says about your identity? If you're not in Christ, you're more or less unknown. You will be known as those who believe the lie, followed the devil, sons and daughters, not of God, but of the evil one. But imagine for a moment being a son and daughter of the Most High God. How does that change how you will speak? How you will think? you will act. Then, as the scriptures say in John, one day we are awaiting that day when we will know him even as we are known of him. And is there any greater thing to be known in this world than to know God and to be known by God? Let me ask the question in a very different way. We would then say, who am I, Lord? That you would have thought about me. Who am I, Lord, that you have given me a new identity, a new life in Jesus when I was, as you just described in Ephesians, verses 1 through 3. Why, Lord, have you given me a new identity and a new life? That leads to meekness, humility, and a desire to live for him. So what do you learn in this third thought of what God is saying to us? Two quick things. My time is overspent. Anyone? Even if we are ridiculed when we're in Christ, we need to stand for that identity. Anyone else? Yes. Okay. Right, so we have an option of, there, there are two options, there are two possibilities. We are identified either with Christ or we're identified either in our sin. 
who are we identified with is the question. So let's pray. Our great